our musical guest this week is the notorious Mae West. Turned on my television to Lucky Channel 13. Tuned in Mr. Criswell, he sure was on the beam. With his predictions, with his convictions of what the future will be. And it made a lot of sense to me. In the 60s, the celebrity psychic Chriswell and I had columns in the entertainment guide Fabulous Las Vegas. Mine was You Better Believe It. His was uh, Maybe You Won't, in fact. He predicted many outlandish things like In 1987, everyone in Denver will turn to jelly. Now, my cousin Howard lives there, so I can't prove that's wrong. But his agent said he's 90% right. One prediction I remember, Chriswell wrote, when one of America's top sex symbols dies, people will be shocked to find out she was a man. (laughs) I had already been shocked long before she died. Stay tuned. I'm Allison McKay, and you better believe it. And if Criswell predicts it, you can bet it comes true. We're here in Palm Springs, California. Don't you wish you were? I am. There's a lot of dirt about Palm Springs, and we're going to be spilling the tea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the sparkling voice of my co-host, the Fabulous Fleet, better known here as the Prince of Palm Springs. Hey, why don't I get top billing? Well, you got a crown and a star on the Walk of Fame. What do you want? I want to be a top. Well, you came to the right place. Let's get to Mae West. Wait, they don't know who we are. Who are we? Well, for 15 years, I was the plumber's wife for Liquid Plumber. A draining experience. I was a star of the fabulous Florida Follies. Which I wrote and produced. I was honored by the White House four times. Really? For what? For my humanitarian work, of course. Of course. I was on a Super Bowl ad with P-Rod, the Olympic skateboard champion. Yeah? Did you hurt yourself? Oh, stop. Well, you know, I was voted Entertainer of the Year seven times here in Palm Springs and in Los Angeles. Well, I'm the grandma on Walmart's shopping guide. Well, hootie hootie who. I'm receiving a Gold Star Award for my contributions to the U.S. military forces. I'll bet. Well, I had a record on Billboard's Top Ten in the 60s. Was it 10? No, I was the 10. Well, I just sang the title track of a new feature film. Feature that. I have agents on three continents. Well, I have incontinence. Piss off. All right, let's work together, like Congress. (laughs) You may interview our guest, but I will introduce him. He's the best Irish tenor I ever heard, and I've been in a lot of bars. Can you hum a few? You have no lines here. Assistant, fan, friend, and confidant to Miss Mae West. Mr. David Christopher. Hello. David spent most of his youth with the great vaudevillian and actress Mae West. David, tell us what did you do with or for Miss West? (laughs) Either way I say it, it doesn't come out right. Can you answer that? Well, I did just about anything she asked me to. (laughs) I, I answered letters for her. I entertained her guests when they came to town, and um, just about anything she asked. Well, well, tell us, how did you get the job? I was going to college, and a friend of mine and I saw that she was performing for one night only in Los Angeles at 
Delta Kappa Alpha fraternity at USC at the Town and Gown Ballroom, and that was in February of 1968. We decided that we wanted to see her live, so we notified the Town and Gown Ballroom that we wanted to come to see Miss West on that night. We were in Lawrence, Kansas, going to University of Kansas. The Town and Gown notified us that everything was sold out, but that if we could get to Hollywood, they would give us a couple of chairs in the back of the room. So we went ahead and made plans to go see Miss West perform at this event. And when we got into Los Angeles, we looked up her name in the phone book, and she did happen to have her name listed in the Los Angeles telephone directory. Wow, that's really interesting to be a star at her level to have it in the phone book. So continue. Tell us more about this. Well, in her act, many times she would say, oh, give me a call. I'm in the book. (laughs) And she really was in the book, and thank you for that, because otherwise we may never have had the chance to meet her. We called the number from our hotel and talked to the person at the desk. They said they would give Miss West the message that we called. A few minutes later, we got a call back from Robert, who was her assistant at the time. He said, Miss West is so impressed that you have come so far to see her perform tomorrow evening. She wants you to come up to the stage after the show and say hello. Wow. That's awesome. So we were very excited. I cut my face with the razor because I was so excited after I got the call. I couldn't shave without shaking. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we did manage to get to the town and gown ballroom the next evening. And it was an evening of every main star in Hollywood at the time. And many of the legends were there. It was a room full of personalities. And they were They were honoring Alfred Hitchcock, Mervyn Leroy, James Stewart, and Miss West. Mm. But Miss West very rarely appeared anywhere unless she was able to perform. So she told them that she would come if she could perform. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm right there. You know, (laughs) I I, I wanted to tell you, I, I wrote a letter to her back, I think it was in the 80s and stuff. I was such a big fan. I never did get a response, but God, if I had known she was in the book, I would have called her. (laughs) (laughs) but continue tell us more about this this is wonderful well um she did a recitation from her play diamond lil on the stage and then she closed the act with frankie and johnny she got a huge standing ovation from all of those great legends in the room and while she was getting her standing ovation and we were in the back robert came back to us and said miss west wants you to join her on the stage so we were walking up the aisle toward the stage, and people came out and shook hands and congratulated us. They had announced that we had come all that way. (laughs) So Agnes Moorhead, Carol Channing, several of the great stars actually came over and shook our hands as we were on our way up to the stage. And of course, they were all still standing and still applauding. When we got to the stage, we stepped up and Miss West turned around and put her arms around each of us on each side of her. And she said, hello, boys. Let's have our pictures taken together. (laughs) So they took the photographs, and she finished up with her standing ovation. She said, follow me to my dressing room. I want to talk to you. I bet you're about ready to pass out from the excitement. (laughs) Yes, I was was near exhaustion from being able to stand up. (laughs) So um, we followed her to the dressing room, and she had two muscle men guys on each side of her. And then we were behind her, and they piled all of the flowers and the roses and things that had been sent for the event onto our arms. So we followed her to the dressing room, 
with our arms full of roses and flowers for her. And then they left us to wait outside the door of the dressing room while she prepared to receive us, which she always did. She had to make sure the lighting was right, the gown looked just right, everything was right before she would let anybody come in to the apartment or to her dressing room. When we did finally enter into her dressing room, she looked up from where she was sitting, and she said, Hello, dear. I've been expecting you. The force has sent you here. Mm. Wow, that's really, that's awesome. My I said, I know they did. <laughs> so. Sidebar. Also in 59, I was production singer at the Sahara Hotel in Vegas, and I was dating one of Miss West's bodyguards. You know, those hunky guys who carried her on and off stage. You probably remember Vince Edwards. Later, Dr. Ben Casey. Yes, Wait. I remember Vince. Oh, dear. Well, one night we were walking backstage, and as we passed Miss West's dressing room, again, the door was open, and laid out on her couch were her body parts, tits, hips, ass, the whole nine yards. It was like Fredericks of Hollywood, and that was before I saw the real body parts. Vince grabbed me away and said, she's a very old lady, but he never outed her. Many tried. We know Raquel Welsh tried when they were filming Myra Breckenridge together. Isn't that right, David? Well, Raquel wanted to be the star, of course. She resented Miss West's popularity and that Miss West was being billed above her. So they didn't really get along. Miss West did make an attempt to warm up to her, but Raquel just didn't seem to warm up to her. Those of us who worked for Miss West, we were all kept separate from those who were with Raquel. And I never, ever went over to say anything to Miss Welch because I felt that if Miss West had seen me, I might never <laughs> come back. <laughs> so we definitely stayed our distance. And they didn't have very many scenes that were shot together. Now, you know, Miss West had in her contract that she could only wear the color combination of white and black because against a color picture, her character would stand out and the eyes of the audience would follow her. Mm -hmm. The first day of shooting, Raquel showed up on the set with a black and white dress. You know, I was going to ask you about that because I've watched some of the documentaries and uh, interviews with Raquel, and she talks about that whole incident with only wearing black and white, and then she showed up. So continue. Tell us more about what happened on the set there. Well, when Miss West saw that she was wearing a black and white dress, she retired to her dressing trailer. And for three days, they had a shooting schedule that Miss West did not participate in because she would not continue until that dress was changed. Mm. And so finally they did change the dress, although on screen it still looks like black and white. Mm -hmm. It was black and blue. Ah, <laughs> clever. But I continue. said to Miss West, I said, how come you make such a big deal of this? She said, because it's in my contract. And she said, if you let one thing go that's in your contract without fighting for it, then you lose the power of the contract. Right. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great statement. So they went ahead and uh, shot the picture. I was there most of the days when Miss West did her scenes. I had a little walk-on a couple of places they used me, you know, in the background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I could get paid <laughs> from the studio. Well, what about Raquel, though? She really did try to out her and tell the world that she was a guy. Well, see, I lived in with her for three years, and I never, ever felt that she was a guy, and I still don't believe it. I saw her, you know, down to her slip and her bra, mm -hmm. and I never saw anything that looked fake to me. Well, I saw the rest of her. 
because <laughs> I went out into the casino one night and I had to go to the ladies' room. And so I ran into the ladies' room and I went clear to the back, as I always do. I don't know why. And the door was open and I just looked in and um, there she was, <sighs> just <laughs> pulling up her stuff. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, Miss West. And she said, talk about your ringside. So that was my experience. Hmm. Well, David, I think you'd said one time you told me that her brother sometimes appeared as her. Yes, I wasn't witness to that. But there are stories that mostly in the 30s when she didn't want to go to a party in the evening after she had been shooting during the day, her brother would go to that party in drag as Miss West. And no one knew the difference. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. David, now, did you live with Miss West at her residence? Well, she had the 22-room house at the beach at Santa Monica. That's where she kept me. And uh, I had my own room and bath there. But she mostly stayed in the apartment in Hollywood. But in the evening after her daily schedule was finished, she would come to the beach mm -hmm. and have dinner. Now, she lived in the penthouse at the Ravenswood? Well, they called it the penthouse. It was the sixth floor. Mm -hmm. wasn't really a penthouse. Was it the whole top floor? No. Her apartment was one bedroom, and then it had an attachment door that I never went through, okay. but was another apartment, and that's where Paul, her man, stayed most of the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I know she was very much into psychic and metaphysical and all those realms and stuff. I know she was very attached to one of the psychics that she would bring in and do her, sessions with. Her original psychic's name was Dr. Kelly. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to meet Dr. Kelly. He had passed before I got there. The British psychic. Tell about him. Her well, you're him. talking about Dr. Richard Ireland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he had been mentored by Dr. Kelly, and she just naturally moved on to Dr. Ireland after Dr. Kelly passed. Okay. Well, Ireland was really very good at what he did. You would go to a meeting with him and write something down, write a question down on a piece of paper. He was blindfolded and all that stuff so that he couldn't see what you had, had written. He had four layers. He had four layers of right. blindfold. Wow. wow. And he could pick up that piece of paper and tell you what you had written on it and what was the answer. Okay. Now, the answers over the years, you know, many of them didn't come to pass, but many of them did. He really was very good. Well, wow. he told me my cat was lost, and he told me, when you go home, your cat will be there. He wasn't? Mm. No. I well, was that's very what I mean, upset. So. Well, you know, cats, cats aren't very good at reading directions or, no. it, <laughs> or maps. That's true. It was a catastrophe. <laughs> So, David, tell us, so when did you move to Palm Springs? Well, I started driving down to Palm Springs. A friend of mine brought me down to Palm Springs for one evening, and we stayed at the El Mirador, and I immediately fell in love with Palm Springs. So I rented a little house up on West Bristow and still kept my house in Hollywood, where I spent most of the time. But on weekends, I could come to Palm Springs, and Dick Contino, he was appearing here at the Rim Rocks. So I started doing vocals with him for a while, and then we went on to the Riviera. The Howard Manor. Howard Manor we did in the Ocotillo. Well, there were so many great places to work. I want to divert just for a second. Did Miss West ever come to Palm Springs at all? Well, she opened her Vegas act in Palm Springs at the Chi Chi to break it in. Tell us a little bit about Palm Springs during that period of time here. Well, that was after Miss West. Yeah. Right, right. When Miss West passed in 1980, I didn't feel like I had really any really great reason to stay in Hollywood, so I moved down here to my little house on Baristo permanently. Mm -hmm. 
I was in Moody's one night. They had just opened uh, maybe a year before I went in there. Phil and Grace Moody, and I got up and did a few tunes. That's where I met you, yep. Yes. He was the uh, cutest little leprechaun you'd ever meet in your life. (laughs) I think I met you at the Melvin's Ingle site. I think that's where we first met, at probably at one of the jazz afternoon sessions. Right, the Sunday Jam. Right. Well, you know what? I want to thank you so much, David, for joining us today. I mean, this has been really wonderful. I am just so excited because I have always been a fan of Miss West. They've been doing all these documentaries on her. PBS just did one called Dirty Blonde, and I learned so much about her that I really didn't know, and I thought I knew a lot about her. You know, her beginnings in in New York and all the things that she went through and all the times she was arrested for indecency and everything. (laughs) I don't don't think she would like the documentaries they're doing on her now. Well, you know, but... so great. I mean, even though it may have been a little sordid and all these things like that, it got her the attention that she needed by Hollywood to to take her and, and make her the big star she became and the legend. Well, you no, it was George Raft that was responsible for that. No. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. She had a, a boyfriend who was a gangster, one of the most powerful gangsters in New York, named Oni Madden, also known as Killer Madden. Killer mm-hmm. Madden, yes. <laughs> and he had a runner, a young boy named Little Georgie. And Little Georgie used to go back and forth to the backstage door where Miss West was working with messages and, and other things from Oni Madden. Mm-hmm. And then they decided, the, the gangs decided they would turn Little Georgie into a movie star. So they took him to Hollywood and turned him into George Raft. Oh, wow. That's a wonderful backstory there. And then when Little Georgie was doing a picture called Night After Night, he said to Paramount, there's an actress in New York who could play this role perfectly. So they called her out and gave her a screen test and gave her a supporting role in Night After Night. Well, she... Just made such a big hit in Night After Night, George Raff said she stole everything but the cameras, (laughs) and immediately they knew they had a star on their hands, so right away they had her do her uh, screen version of Diamond Lil, which was called She Done Him Wrong. She Done Him Wrong. And that saved the studio. The studio only had $500,000 in the bank. She said, I can take that $500,000 and make a picture. So she made She Done Him Wrong in six weeks one-on-one shooting where they did one scene, you know, rehearsed the scene, shot the scene, and then went on to the next scene as if they were doing a stage play. You know, once she said, come up sometime and see me, and she got the whole country to saying that, they went with her for another uh, seven pictures, I think seven or eight pictures. I know she really had the Hayes office going. <laughs> I believe they created the Hayes office because of her. They, yeah, they yeah, did. Yeah. Well, she liked that, but what she said to me, she said, I always wrote about 30% of really dirty stuff into my scripts so that when the Hayes office went through, they would scratch all that stuff out and leave me with the stuff I really wanted. Oh, Oh, that's great. Boy, this has really been a wonderful time spent with you. I learned so much, and I'm just, I'm really grateful that we've had this time together that uh, you could share all these wonderful stories of your time with her. I'm so glad we've had this time together. (laughs) Together? (laughs) (laughs) There we go. All right, well, thanks for asking me. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. Okay, Fleet, here's a theory. I don't know how to turn off my mic. (laughs) (laughs) Sidebar. A gang of my gay friends made the movie Dinah East, considered scandalous in the 60s, which tells the story of Mae West as a skinny little guy who couldn't get arrested as an actor. On a whim, he got in drag, she got hired, and her career took off. They're conveniently dead now, so I can't get further details. But consider this. Mae West talked trash because she was a guy. 
Women weren't allowed to then. Some never talked at all. You've come a long way, baby. Thank you. And as an upstart, she had nothing to lose. Oh, maybe she was just a sociopath. It helps as an actor. No comment. What we don't know is why her secret was never exposed, when so many must have been on to her. Did she pay them off? Or was it fear of Killer Madden? Or Stepladder Louie? Or Tommy Two-Time? Or Johnny No-Thumbs? How about Freddie No-Ankles? What if you saw her on TikTok? Would she be just another gender bender? Or still a big hit? She must have been proud to be a pioneer. She was a proud boy. <laughs> Not quite. But yes, a trailblazer who wrote all of her own material and created herself as a goddess. Not just a famous actress, but a flaming sex queen. Imagine if all those Kansas fanboys had any idea. And here's the kicker. She was the highest paid person in the country, with the sole exception of William Randolph Hearst. That's pretty rich, folks, for a pop culture prankster. Like imagine Bill Gates as a sex goddess. Huh. What we do know is people love Mae West. Still do. Whatever gender she inhabited. Okay, what's your take on it, Fleet? Well, there was that brother theory. I don't know. Oh, my. Then whose pecker did I peep? Peeper Piper peeped a peck of pickled peters. A peck of pickled peckers Peeper Piper peeped. Let's compromise. Like Congress. Maybe she was intersex. You know, with both sets of chromosomes, etc. Ah, double junk in the trunk. To use a scientific term. Mm -hmm. But here's what I learned from my research. In the 1910s, anyone born intersex was recorded as female on the birth certificate. And when the 20s roared around, mom and dad got to pick. Then the so-called problem was surgically fixed. Yikes. And you thought circumcision was bad. Thank you, Dr. Prince. Well, May was born in 1893, when it was truly the Wild West. No pun intended. None taken. And who could have predicted the turn that our sexual evolution would take? Well, we all know the answer to that. He's been checked and double-checked, and he's 90% correct. In the things he says are going to be. So I listened every night. And it turned out he was right. Cause he said a thing that you replied to me. Six Degrees is largely ad-libbed by Allison McKay and Prince Fleet Easton. Our audio engineer is Anne Catalino. The song Criswell Predicts is written by Mae West and comes from the 1956 album The Fabulous Mae West on Decca Records. For more information on the intersex movement, check out interactadvocates.org. Also check out Chapter 1 of Criswell Predicts, 1969, Homosexual Cities. Make sure you're setting down. Criswell Predicts, many things in the future. Criswell Predicts, what is gonna be new? Swimming pools on wheels, political deals, the invention of pills that are seven-cost meals. He out-predicts Pearson. I'm Nostradamus too.